welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I'm over the moon to welcome Vicky Snell, Customer Relations Manager for Transpennine Express. Vicky will share her career story, but also give us some indication and some context of why she was awarded the British Empire Medal for Services to Mental Health earlier in 2022. It was my absolute pleasure to welcome Vicky to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. Vicky Snell, it's an absolute delight to welcome you to the Intuitive Insights podcast. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. You know that when, when we held the Women in Rail event, um, the Mental Wealth Cafe, back in 2019, I think, yeah. or was it early the 2020? Before, it was... It it was, was it was, it was 2019, it was the before times. It was the before, <laughs> it was the before times. Before yeah. times. <laughs> it was. And um, I, whilst I had met you uh, several times at that stage, I think seeing you and actually hearing you tell your story was a complete inspiration for me and also not a dry eye in the house. So I'm going to try <laughs> and keep it together today, but there's no promises. Um, so in terms of, of those people who are tuning in to today's episode, um, I'm going to introduce you with your full title. So Vicky Snell, um, you are a customer relations manager at Transpennine Express in the glorious yep. city of Manchester. Yes. Um, so that's that's the day job. Um, I'm really interested to know um, about your career story, Vicky. We're going to do mm-hmm. in true traditional intuitive insights podcast fashion. I want you to go back to the beginning take take mm-hmm. us right back to the beginning of your story and um and talk me through your career where you've been what you've done um and actually what a day in the life or a week in the life of a customer relations manager is because i'm sure that's um pretty interesting which might be an overused word that we're <laughs> using at the moment but life is quite interesting um so it i'm going to hand over to you it. vicky and and i know um you know there's there's the work stuff there's the career stuff but there's also some been some pretty significant events in your life mm-hmm. as well so um so tell us tell us tell us who you are where you've been what you've been <laughs> So I always, I'm definitely one of those people who kind of fell into the railway. I think it's kind of, um, you. Know, I've, I think everyone I've ever met who's worked in the railway has either always wanted to do it, it's been their childhood dream, or kind of accidentally happened to them. And I definitely fall into the latter category. So mm-hmm. um, I started working in our call centre back when it was based in Plymouth on what was supposed to be an eight week temporary contract um and January will make that 10 years ago (laughs) so wow it's yeah it's been a long long time now I was crazy when I think about it that's been almost a decade but yeah I was 21 years old when I started doing this and it was post-uni so I'd just graduated and my original plan post-university was always to do something exciting like I'd I'd spent one of my years in uni living abroad I lived in America for a year and I'd really thrived there and I really enjoyed that um, so my plan always was to go and do something. I, I was even talking about going to work on a cruise ship, like doing something, like something, because I wanted to right. see more of the world and everything like that. Um, and sadly, during my last year of uni, um, I broke my leg for the first time ever, which was kind of where all the stuff in my personal life started kind of unraveling seemed like a strong word, but it did feel like, you know, I was, I was just 20 when that happened, when, yeah. when my leg broke for the first time. And by the time I graduated uni, it became clear to me that what was going on with my leg wasn't going to be a quick fix. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be, you know, what most people's stories are when they break their leg, which is you're in a cast for a few weeks and then you have some physiotherapy potentially, and then you kind of move on and maybe your leg aches a little like in the winter or something. Yeah. And you've got metal in there. Um, But by the time I graduated university and was looking for work, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to do what I wanted to do. So like, you know, I was, I was never going to be in a position where I could, work um on a cruise ship or stand up for long periods of time and, and everything like that so I looked, started looking for an office job um and Plymouth is where I'm from that's where I've lived most of my life until I moved up to Manchester uh and 
literally the call center there was kind of like at the time everyone worked there at some point like it was like a thing it was like a rite of passage to be yeah was to work in this call center at some point um and yeah I was meant to be there for eight weeks um as a delay repay agent so it's literally doing data input to make sure customers got their money back for um Fast Capital Connect which no longer exists but that's who they were at the time right wow um and that's where I started out and then all of great all of uh, first groups stuff was down there at the time so it was great western transpennine express and first what was first capsule connect yeah. or was being handled from this call center um and as time went on uh i kind of started being put onto other contracts i ended up working for tpe um and i'll always remember the reason i started working on transpennine express's uh contract was because of the farnworth tunnel being closed okay. um whilst they were doing work on it and I don't know why that always sticks in my mind but that for some reason is something I always remember yeah. um and never really looked back like I a job opportunity came up in Manchester to work for Transpennine directly um when the call center was closing so it closed in 2016 because it was moved up north yeah um and I just thought you know why not why not give it a go I, I, I was already kind of doing the job anyway so that first job I had at TPE was um helping with like escalated complaints and specialist stuff and helping with like you know anything that our directors get emailed like helping kind of investigate those responses right. and everything like that and I was already doing that um really down in Plymouth so I was like why don't I just you know take the chance just do it I don't have any dependence um wasn't in you know wasn't in a relationship or anything so I was like if I make this decision I'm the only person it impacts and I think at the time we well, you know I'm sure my family missed me but it was um at the time I was like when are you ever gonna get the chance to do something just for you like that's really rare in life I think and I was like I really want to do this for me and at the time that I had uh, one of those external fixators on my leg because we were still in the trying to save my leg stage right, okay. <laughs> of the process so yeah. it was a hell of a thing to move with because I was still you know on fully on crutches and everything like that and, right. and I remember my mum was talking to me quite a lot about it at the time and obviously you know part of that's who's your mum so she wants you to be close by and there's that there's that element to it as well but also you know I was at the time I had less mobility then than I do now. So it was it was a difficulty to kind of that was that definitely formed part of the decision. But also I didn't want it to stop me from doing anything. Yeah. And I, I guess my thought process with it was well, worst case scenario, I can just move home. Like that's always been, you know, like and Absolutely. at least I'll have tried. Yeah. At least I'll have tried it, you know? And I think that's what's interesting with my career is the story of my leg has kind of um for lack of a better word framed it like it's been kind of like a big part of it so yeah. I you know it starts the, the reason I ended up working in the railway at all was because my leg broke and they couldn't fix it um and then it's kind of always had these moments throughout my career here so you know I, I went I was still I lived up here but was traveling down to Plymouth for my hospital appointments because right. I was in such a critical part of my journey with my leg at that point yeah. that I didn't want to switch hospitals and I really trusted my surgeon and like I think when you go through something like I did with what ended up being like six and a bit years of trying to save my leg before I ended up making the decision right. that I did to have it amputated I really needed that trust so I was going down for those appointments and stuff mm. and yeah it's it's interesting to me that the two have always been very intertwined yeah. Um, like my career and then also uh, my health issues that ended up you know ultimately make it meaning that I I did lose my leg um, five years ago in December which is crazy oh, wow okay yeah that's gone really fast um, right. it's really really weird uh, but yeah I it, it, to me it's really interesting that they're very intertwined like it's it's, it's, it's very much something that are the same thing to me almost yes. like work I would not be here working now in Manchester at this job in Transpennine Express if my leg hadn't broken on that day in August 2011 and it's crazy <coughs> to think about those that those connections and how life kind of just happens to us sometimes Absolutely. <laughs> all we can yeah. do is our best 
yeah there's that um do you remember that film i know it is quite a few years ago now so i might be just showing my age but there was a film <laughs> with gwyneth paltrow called sliding doors yes yes I oh my yeah. gosh yeah and it, and you can you can overlay that on your mm-hmm. own life can't you because it's like well yeah, yeah. if that had happened then yeah. i might have gone yeah. off a different route but actually this is what's happened yeah. and not only is this what's happened but this is how you have responded to it. Yeah. And I think it's, that's something I've always found really interesting. And I think, you know, you know me, I've always been very open with my struggles with my mental health and, mm. and, you know, physical health and mental health is so linked. And yeah. it's, it, it's something I've always been really open with. And I think when, when I'm having a, you know, a tough time with it and struggling with my mental health, I, one thing I, I've consistently kind of gone through is this kind of, grief for this version of me that never got to exist you know yeah. this version because like my 20s were very much taken over by the situation of my leg and I think that occasionally and I do still feel that sometimes now you know I'm 31 now but I, I still sometimes feel that like the who would I have been without this but also and I think it's okay it's okay to grieve that person who never existed because that's a version of your life that you never got to live you know but I also am now probably the most comfortable I am uh, or I have been with who I am now so like you know I've been been going through therapy and everything like that but Mm. it's yeah I think that's something I've definitely experienced um and it's and it's it's interesting because you know life we we like to think we can control it but we really can't (laughs) and it's just like like so like like, I do always joke oh my career kind of just happened to me but it kind of did just happen to me like this was never what I when I was a little girl I didn't dream about being the customer relations manager for a train company right. but you right. know funnily enough wasn't wasn't on my uh you know <laughs> no. wasn't on my like, pants when I was a little girl um but I you know I I like where I've ended up I, I, I know I'm very good at what I do like and yeah. you know and as someone with anxiety that's really kind of it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I know I can say that I know I'm good at what I do yeah, yeah. um and that's it's interesting that ever you know everything's so connected and I think I, it might always seem like I'm being glib when I say my career just happened to me but it very much did yeah. um, and I've kind of just taken the ball by the horns and done my best with it really yeah I think that you know there are there are definitely the people who have a plan Mm-hmm. and you know by this age I'm going to be this and certainly mm-hmm. you know going back into my um my first career if you like when I worked in in retail banking there was a grading structure and mm-hmm. at that point you would be in you'd be grade whatever you were I can't even remember what they were now whether they raised I think they were one to five and then after that it was a managerial grade so you went into yeah. letters after that from memory um but you would you weren't necessarily in that grade until you were good enough to move to the next one it was like yeah. oh I've been here for two years now so I I, I now I'm going to be the next grade up etc so yeah. so some I think back in the day, some um, organisations or some industries maybe had a system which meant that your career plan was done for you because you join at a junior level and then every so many years you'll move up into the next grade. There are Mm -hmm. definitely some people who have a plan and say, right, Mm -hmm. when I'm going to go to uni and I'm going to do this, I'm going to come out, I'm going to do that and then I'll, I'll do this. And honestly Vicky and the number of people I've spoken to over all of the years of my career not just whilst I've been doing um executive search and and recruitment those people are in the minority I think you and people like you and me (laughs) who go into something because there's an opportunity there and obviously at the beginning you've realized that um, you need to have an office job because you can't be on yeah. your feet. So you can't yeah. you can't work in retail, for example, because you cannot yeah. be able to stand on a shop floor for seven, eight hours a day. So you make a choice and you go for it. So mm-hmm. and I feel like I want to draw attention to the fact that you made a choice and you went for yeah. it because actually there are another cohort of people who will say, well, I actually know that's what I wanted to work on a cruise ship and I can't do that now. So I'm just going to sit here. And I'm going to wait for something else to happen. And then when it doesn't, yeah. I'm going to get a bit grumpy about the fact that, you know, I've I lost my childhood dream to go and work on a cruise ship because yes. of the situation that I was placed in. I think that you are one of the best examples I've ever met of someone who um, who was given 
a bag of lemons and <laughs> and went off and made some fabulous lemonade with it because yeah. you've you've really you've made such a difference by sharing your own experience with other people um and we know what a difference you've made because you're actually awarded for it in the Queen's Honours, weren't yes. you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we'll come to that. One. Yeah. So we'll we'll come <laughs> to that in the story. But in terms yeah. of um of kind of getting to the to the role you're in now, so you've you've come up to Manchester, you've moved up to yeah. Manchester, albeit you need to keep going back down to Plymouth um in terms mm-hmm. of seeing the the medical support people about your leg. Mm-hmm. At what point did you realise that 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 actually it's not getting any better we're not we're not going to be able to do anything and it's becoming presumably prohibitive to you leading the life you want to lead yeah yeah so I'd been living up here for I think just over about 18 months by the time I had my leg amputated so there was about that kind of time gap between me moving here and then me having the surgery but the actual decision was made um in June of 2017 and I'll always remember that because the last surgery I had to save my leg yeah was on my mum's birthday right <laughs> and uh, like bless her um uh she's you know she still did the dutiful came to the hospital with me at seven o'clock in the morning and did the right. mum thing and yeah but it was you know it was her birthday um and I hadn't said this to anyone but I very much had like a conversation with myself where I just had this feeling and to this day I couldn't tell you where it came from yeah. that that surgery wasn't going to work right. and whether it was you know me trying to mentally prepare myself because I'd already had by that point I think four failed surgeries on my leg so right. I think that and this surgery was essentially replicating the surgery I'd had before that hadn't worked it was just doing the same thing again right. And I kind of get, so whether it was self-protection or instinct, I, you know, I, I don't know, really know what to call it. Yeah. Um, I knew that surgery wasn't going to work. Like I just, I had this, this deep, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it mm. because in my head, I knew the next stage was amputation. Like I knew that that would be okay. what I would want to do after this, because right. by that point it had been six years of trying to save my leg. Um, yeah. And most of my, by that point, all of my 20s, I was 26 at the time. Um, and I just, I remember thinking, I'm going to do this. And I, like, looking back on it, I wonder if more, I never wanted to be able to look back and think, oh, what if I'd done that last surgery and it had worked? You know, yes. like for that, that kind yeah. of, that, that, that bit in your head. So I, I kind of, I prepared myself for that, woke up and the surgery clearly hadn't worked. My leg was visibly shorter than the other one. Right. because there's been so much damage to it that it was just there was there was a real issue with it mm. and I knew right then that my only options would be amputation or to have another one of those frames put on it that I'd had on previously yeah. and I will say out of everything I've been through that was the worst and I was yeah. very much like I am not doing that again just mm. very clear to myself like that is not an option to me right so I'd made that decision in the June um that yeah this is this is the way this is going to go and mm. um, but I didn't say it to anybody um because I was like this might make me sound like I've lost the plot a little bit if I say this to someone because you know yeah. it's a big thing to be like I'm going to say I'm going to tell the doctors I want to have my leg amputated like yeah. that is even though I've got all this evidence all of these years of it's a huge thing like you're yeah. you're, you're permanently removing one of your limbs you know yeah. part of one of your limbs so yeah I didn't say it to anything to anyone and I had a follow-up appointment. It's it loads of follow-up appointments when you have surgery or any kind of the head metal work in my leg as well. So I had loads of follow-up appointments. And I was quite famous at Fracture Clinic, by the way. I was like well known. <laughs> I spent so much time there. Like I it's one of the places where I really thrived, you know. Like I would I would walk up to the desk to like check in and the guy behind the desk didn't even have to ask my name. Like he knew who I was. Mm-hmm. Like and there, you yeah. know. It was like I was I was like a celebrity at Fracture Clinic. It's one of the few places <laughs> in my life that I've been. You know. um, and I remember we were going to Fracture Clinic, and it was me, and my mum, and she always came with me to my appointments. Like she, she, and you know, even then I was in my mid to late. But you always on your mum when you're not feeling your best, don't you? So she, um, I remember I I'd been putting off saying it to her because I was like, she's going to try and talk me out of this, even yeah. though I've already made the decision for myself. And I, we were in the car, and I was just like just so you know <laughs> I'm going to mention amputation to him 
because I was just like I just I knew I had to say it at some point yeah and I, she was obviously very much just like what yes where's that <laughs> come from also, yeah like, I haven't spoken to her about it since. I think she knew the writing was on the wall. But I just think, you know, acknowledging something is always the first, is always the hardest part sometimes, isn't it? So I think, you know, we were both talking about something that would maybe skirted around for quite some time. Yeah. Um, and I remember saying to my surgeon, I said to him, like, what are my options here, really? Like, you know, I don't, like, I, we've tried for so long to do this. You know, an orthopedic surgeon never wants to remove a limb. That's like the thing they're trying to yeah. remove. They're trying to avoid, really. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, I was correct that my only options were to have the frame again, but it would have to be much higher up on my leg. It would have to include my knee um, uh, or the amputation, which would be below the knee. Right. And I was, I think the deciding factor for me was what the frame hadn't worked the first time. Why would it work the second time? Yeah. And I said to him, I was like, can you be really honest with me if I went for the frame? Which I wasn't going to do, but I didn't want it to seem like, you know, I was thinking Explore about all the options. Yeah, you know, all the options. And it didn't work. Would you then have to amputate above the knee? And he said yes. And I was like, well, in that case, I think we know the answer, don't we? Right. Like, I think we I think we know, because that makes it so much harder. Because um, you're missing two joints then. You're yes. on your knee. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I think that makes the decision, doesn't it? And that was in uh, August. And I had my leg amputated on the 18th of December. So there was quite a, there was quite a okay. period of time in between where you know you're having this big thing happening. Yeah. And you know me, like I'm very, you know, forthright. Like, I'll just say stuff. Like, yes. And like, very often, like, you know, I've never, never been one to keep my mouth shut particularly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I uh, would just tell people without, because I'd normalized it so much in my head kind of always forgot how much of a shock it was speaking to hear someone say yes oh I'm having my, and have a date when it was going to happen like I was like oh yeah on the 18th of December I'm having my leg amputated yeah. like it yeah. was such a, it's such a you know and I think I'd normalized it so much in my head yeah. because it was normal to me well, it was, that's it was my life it. you're very you know, matter of fact about it aren't you very because, it, fact, because yeah. you had got yourself you'd sorted it out in your own head you knew that yeah. that was um, the option that you were going to go with because it was the mm -hmm. best case scenario. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so you had made that decision. But mm -hmm. then and, and so it was a matter of fact in your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's what you, you've continued to be, haven't you? And I'm sure with, yeah. you know, with with lots of, of internal work going yeah. on but in that. So in that run up to the 18th of December, are you supported? Is because um, I am making an assumption that there is some kind of counselling service, or you know, people who are going to talk to you about how you're going to feel, not only physically, how you're going to cope physically to learn how to to be mobile again, and and mm -hmm. and how to, um, you know, what's going to happen in terms of of a prosthetic, how they're going to do that, and yeah. all of the practical physical stuff. How. How were you supported with the getting your head around this stuff? You know, I, I always, I, I never really thought about it in the lead up. I didn't have any counselling beforehand. Um, and I think that it was partially because I, you had the complication of the fact I had my surgery down at Plymouth, yeah. but all my aftercare was done up here. Right. Um, which again is not one of those, it's very fortuitous because um, the centres up here are really good, like right. really, really good. So um, I used to be go to the one in Manchester, but now I actually go to the one in Preston. Um, and it, I think it was just one of those things that because my situation was very specific, I know they do offer counselling, um, but it is, I guess, one of those things where it's not something you often have a lot of time to prepare for. It's either you've had an accident or, yeah. you know, you, you're sick and that's why they're having to do it mm. and that kind of thing. So if that, that period of time between August and the December was very very weird mm. and I'll be honest with you I don't remember a huge amount of it right. so I don't know if that's just my brain like protecting myself like yeah. it's just it, it was this weird in between a bit that I don't remember a huge amount about but what I like, what I do know is that having been through therapy since yeah that I spent a lot of that time trying to protect other people okay because I think I very much just wanted people to be okay with it because I was okay with it and I yeah. knew this was the only option well mm. I was as okay with it as I could be you know I think it's you still kind of go again go to that level of grief of my life is never going to be the same mm. it's going to be better than it is but it's still not going to be 
you know, yeah. standard or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time trying to make other people feel better about it. Right. And I think that in the end, that ended up being a little detrimental to my mental health because I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't be sad about it or I couldn't have any kind of negative thoughts about the situation or speak negatively. Mm. Because the worst thing for me would be someone asking me if I regretted it because I expressed anything other than, oh, this is fine. Yeah. Um which is interesting and has definitely come out in like I know I've got a bit of a strange sense of humor and that's because you know it's a trauma response isn't it like you you, that's how you do it it was really interesting to me because I'm aware of that but my therapist during one of our first sessions he said to me he was like Vicky are you aware you'll say something really sad or really kind of important Mm -hmm. and then immediately laugh afterwards and I was like I actually am aware I do that, but having someone else point it out was really interesting to me. And, I was, and now I'm hyper aware of the fact I do it. Yeah. And I think that all stems from that period of time when I was trying to make everyone else feel super comfortable with the idea of it. Yeah. And you know, I'm glad I did it because I, I think I just couldn't afford to have other people's emotions about it as well as my own. Mm. So it was easier to have everyone else be really happy about it. And like, don't get me wrong, it was, it was still, it was a good period of my life, but it was also very strange. Like, you know, you you know you're gonna walk into that room and then not have a leg when you wake up. Like yeah. that's really, really strange. But yeah. Um one of the one of the things I did do in the lead up to the amputation was we had a party at my parents' house. Right. Um called which we called Let's Get Vicky Legless. <laughs> and it was honestly my friend made a leg cake, like genuinely <laughs> looked like a leg. We played pin the leg on Vicky and we had a photo of me that my friend photoshopped where my leg was missing and then you had like prosthetic legs which you'd have to like pin on it and right everyone had like loads of fun and it was good and it was because it was a way for me for me to see everyone before I had the surgery because it was yes. around Christmas yeah that was yeah. only a week before Christmas that I had my leg I'm absolutely yeah. um yeah so it was that was fun and you know what that was that was something I I, I never regret the amputation party was absurd and I'm very very aware of that but it was a really good night and I think like really kind of solidified my relationship with the situation yes. I think yes um so yeah I think it really like solidified my relationship with it all yeah um and I don't you know I think that was good and I was and, and, and I it was really fun in a really strange way yeah. um I've but, never yeah. heard anything like that before and I just think that you have you, you know your response to dealing with what you have dealt with and actually what you continue to deal with on a day-to-day basis has been to use humor and I think a lot of us would I'd like to think that 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 I would I think I'd you know I I frequently have those moments where it's like if you if you don't laugh then you're going to cry so actually let's just laugh yeah let's just you know kind of uh, try and lighten the situation but yeah yeah, that that whole idea of a of a party um let's get Vicky legless is just kind of definitely um reflects how I see you in terms of the way that you use your humour but I also know um, that you have massively helped people in terms of how you have dealt with your mental health and as we've said you got a British Empire medal awarded to you earlier this year so huge congratulations for that and so well deserved so so well deserved so it's it really does feel like you've taken a really crappy situation actually mm-hmm. and you've made the best of it so this this feels yeah. like there's a theme running through your life kind of yeah. in terms of what you've shared with us on this conversation knowing that you couldn't do what you'd originally planned to do for a career so what yeah. am I going to do and I'm yeah. going to go into an eight-week contract but actually you were so so right for what you were doing there that they then wanted to keep you and then they keep you a bit longer and then they keep you a bit longer and lo and behold it's 10 years in January (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so that kind of the role that you do now as customer relations manager um, I imagine and, and we've talked about this so I kind of I know it to be true this is a very tricky role this is a role where you are going to be on the receiving end of um of people's issues and challenges with the service that they're receiving from Transpennine. 
the stuff you've gone through personally, does that help you on a day to day basis in terms of how you how you approach your job and how you are with people? Yeah, I think so. I think in a couple of ways, you know, I think it not only does it make me resilient, like what's happened. And that's something I always used to shy away from calling myself. Like one thing I'm trying to get better at is acknowledging what my strengths are, because yeah. I think I've kind of got into this headspace previously where I felt like it was bragging or being big headed to kind of but not that I would ever think that of anyone else that was that was something I would very much internalize for some reason it's very yes. strange what you allow other you know your expectations of yourself are versus what your expectations so for other people yeah and mine is so different so I'm trying to get better at it so like I know I'm a very resilient person like mm. I am a very emotional person but I don't and I don't think that's the wrong thing and I don't think those two things are opposite either I think it's totally possible to be someone who's emotional and like cries at stuff all the time which I do but also then be able to deal with the situation like you know I think it's resilience is key in my job because it isn't easy it isn't easy in any way shape or form um and you know I started out as an advisor so I think it's helpful that I've worked every role like possible so originally doing data input then I was an advisor so I was taking phone calls um the first ever phone call I ever took at that contact center, the customer called me the C word. The first ever call I ever took. <laughs> oh my word. Right, okay. But I'm still here. So, you know. Um, I'm, I'm just still it, smiling. Mm, yes. And I, so I think that that is one part of it. So I think part of it is the resilience because it, it does wait and it does wear me down. Like, I, like I, you know, at the minute, especially the nature of how unending the current situation in the industry is does make it hard and I know it's affecting everyone like there's no one I've spoken to no matter what grade they are no matter what job they do who isn't affected by how it currently is and I think that that is you know it's, it's something that, that, that's there but I think the other part of it for me is empathy like I think that you know these customer service the biggest part of it is empathy that's yeah. the you know and 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 I think empathy comes quite easily to me Mm. And I don't know whether that's because I think it's probably always been there to a degree, but also after everything I went through, I think it, it really highlights, and especially when you are struggling with your mental health, that you never know what someone else is going through and you never really know what someone else is thinking. Yeah. Um, and I think especially in the modern world with social media and everything the way it is, like I think that it's very, people have got a lot better out portraying a version of them on the surface yes and then not hiding what's actually going on underneath and mm. I think I've got cousins who are like 16 and 18 and I'm always very glad that I was not their age now like no. you know like I think oh, that, me too you know yeah like I just don't think you know I, I don't know you know that must be hard and I just think yeah people are much better at like pretending that everything's okay when it isn't which is yes. what we're trying to get away from yes and that's why I'll always be like yeah not having a good time because yeah. of always the hope of that if I'm honest about it someone else will be and yeah. it's it's just you know which I think is important um to empathy I think it's a big thing that because of what's happened to me mm. it's made me quite good at empathizing with other people when things are happening to them and I'm not saying you need to go through something like that to have that level of empathy but mm. it is a key part of my job 100 percent yeah because and also what I try and remember all the time and it is hard sometimes I've had customers make me cry yeah like I've had customers like where I've had to go sit in the print room and cry like after dealing with you know endless emails or people being really awful on the phone mm. um I think you have to when you can remember that they're not angry at you yeah. <laughs> they're angry at the situation or the company or whatever and, and you know you're a representative of that Yes. essentially yeah um but it, you can always tell and again I always joke about this but I think it's true you can always tell when someone's worked in customer service when someone hasn't or retail or anything where there's a customer service aspect yes. to their role you can always tell when someone's done it when someone hasn't <laughs> yeah you absolutely can it's interesting you know just over the last over over summer actually so my daughter went away to uni um last mm -hmm. September or year last September and she is working in a bar in a in one of the hotels yeah. And um, she loves it. She really, really enjoys it. But I've noticed what a big thing for me when we've been out then into a restaurant or a bar. Yeah. 
how she is with the people that are serving us mm -hmm. is, is so completely different. And I'm, you know, I am, I'm generally, I am a lovely person. So I will always engage positively yes. with, with whoever I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, interact with, but, but, Neve is doing that in a completely different way because she knows what it's like to be them. So yeah. especially when things are not going right, because you yeah. know that that's a dreadful situation to be dealing yeah. with. And, and obviously, in the rail industry at the moment, we know that um, gosh, there are so many different challenges and situations that the frontline teams and the you know the customer relations teams are having to deal with which i would imagine is just kind of um, magnified even to what you might have had yeah. in the the summer timetable issues that have gone on yeah. over the last few years yeah. um which I, I think kind of takes us nicely that i could talk to you for hours about this stuff because <laughs> i find that i just think you've got an amazing way of of communicating i think that you are um you're so down to earth and so practical and but you're so wise do you know some of the, some of the things that you're you're sharing with us there's just such a lot of wisdom in there about um how you're dealing with your lot how you, you know how you, yeah. you you're not letting it define you but in a lot of ways yeah. it does define you because yeah. you are using it to be the best absolute best version of yourself that you can be to kind of take it into into a work context um, for this next part, then, which kind of leads on from from what we were just discussing. If you were to rule the world, Vicky, if you were kind of right at the the, the top leadership position of the UK rail industry, and I was to say <laughs> to you, right, Vicky, I can give you three wishes for what you want to change what would those changes be? What would you like to see happen to make the industry fit for the future? I was thinking about this and it's more, I think, the biggest thing is understanding. I think that when I've been out and about and spoken to people about my job and spoken to them about theirs, um, you realise there's so much about each other's roles you just don't know. Like, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's so much about each other's jobs that you just don't understand. And one thing I've always kind of thought, and this is within my current role, is I think if things were as easy to do as everyone thought they were, we'd be doing them already. Like, but, and that, but that, you can you can apply that yeah. to everything. Like, that's yeah. not just work or the railway. Like, if something was as easy as you think it is, there's a really good chance whoever you're thinking should be doing it would be doing it already. So yes. there's always a reason why something isn't happening. So I think, yeah, better understanding of each other's jobs would be something because yeah. I think that there's always this kind of assumption that everyone knows what you know and I don't you know and and, yes. and that isn't true in any way shape or form yeah so yeah I would say that would be my key one is better understanding of each other's jobs and each other's roles yeah. and you know there's never any kind of and I think something we run into for an example of that for example is, is within customer service and then also the social media team I think that, you know, one of the things we have to deal with is complaints about members of staff. Like, it's just, it's something that happens. It's People are always mm -hmm. going to complain about staff members. And, and you know, it's, whether it's justified or not justified isn't the point I'm trying to make. The point is, it kind of creates this situation where it, there's this us versus them aspect of it, where they think that we believe everything we're told. But we're sort of in this situation where we have to, we have to do something with it. Like, if customers contacted us and said something, we have to say, thank you for letting us know. Of course. We will pass this on. Yeah. So whenever I do speak to frontline staff and um, Rich Holiday, who's our learning and development manager, whenever yeah. he introduces people, he'll say, you know, part of Vic's job is to do this, but it's because she has to. It's not because she enjoys getting people into trouble or doing yes. like, you know, or like sending this stuff off to managers. Like that's not the point. The point mm -hmm. is we have to do that. Mm -hmm. But I think that unless you have that context of the situation, you are potentially going to sit there and think, oh, the social media team and the customer relations team love to, you know, take everything the customer say on surface value. And like, that's not the case, but, mm. you know, ultimately we're a customer service function. So we have to be, we can't tell the customer we think they're lying. Like that's not yeah. how it works, you know? So it's kind of, yeah. I think that's the best example I have of that is understanding each other's roles. But also I know that if I, had a different job and I've had it before where customers have been rude about me publicly it's hard and mm. it's not very nice and mm. you do worry people are gonna take it for face value so I can see both sides of that 
so yeah, I think understanding each other better. We need to listen to each other. I think everyone just needs to listen to each other. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Uh, you know, not quite at the level you'd do in school where you'd have like everyone, the only person who had the stick was allowed yes. to talk. But you, <laughs> I think it's, I, yeah. I think it, you know, I think it's just, it, it, it's hard. And I think everyone is feeling it. And I think that, yeah, listening to each other would be another one. And I think on the opposite side of that talking, like I think that, like if, I think I've already said, we're, we're all feeling it for a minute. It is not yeah. an easy time. Yeah. And I won't lie. I always say, I, I I always say like, oh, you know, not an easy time to be the customer relations manager. But I don't think it's ever been an easy time to be the it's customer relations manager. Job. No. In the whole time I've done it, because you no. know, we had the December nineteen timetable change. Um, COVID. Not only did, by the way, was COVID an issue. We moved contact centers during that time, so we were mobilizing mm. a brand new contract in the brand new contact center whilst we were working from home. Yeah. So you know, it's like, and like you know, it's never been easy. Mm. But I think that we all need to talk a little bit more about the fact that it isn't easy. Like, you know, and and, and like it's and that, that acknowledgement won't necessarily fix what's going on, but it humanizes everyone and it makes it, you know, every like, you know, every single person involved in this is struggling. Mm. Like it's and, and and I think that that is something that can't be brushed over. So I yeah. think that that would be something that I would do is like make people not make people, but you know, be kind of open and honest and like I'm struggling. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. And my opinion of that actually has always been that if you have people at the top saying that, it trickles down. Yeah. So like, you know, and I think that, you know, there's there shouldn't be, but there is still this kind of, oh, if I say something at work, they're gonna think I'm not up to the job or they're not up, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's just not true. And if that shouldn't be the case in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but I think if you have senior leaders and management and people like that saying, you know what? This is hard on me. Yeah. This is that makes you feel better. And it'll make people who work for you feel better. And it kind of all trickles down, doesn't it? So I yeah. think that and it needs to be genuine. Yeah. But I think that, that that's very much like my I think, view. On all of you that. know, you you um said um a few minutes ago about when you have been because you have been prepared to talk about the stuff that you've gone through and mm-hmm. that, you know, your 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 mental health challenges, how you have dealt with them and continue to deal with them but actually you have been really honest about how you feel and I think I've certainly I mean it will be 10 years in January since I came into the rail industry too so it's it's kind of it's our our, um, anniversary it's our 10th anniversary in January of intuitive being launched which is is really exciting and amazing some of the changes that I've seen even in the last, I would say probably the last two um, to three years, but rail, rail well-being live for a start, you know, yeah. very, very senior people um, yeah. appearing. So taking part in it in the first instance, but then being prepared to talk about it. I think it was, was it Mick yeah. Lynch or Mick Cash? I can't remember yeah. which one. Mm-hmm. One, one yeah. of them kind of really kind of came on and shared his his own kind of feelings what he was going through some really senior people in the industry have been prepared to do that so I think mm-hmm. there is more of that happening but yeah. we need to we need to kind of make sure that everybody feels safe to do yeah. that um and you know what for, for me personally last week it was national menopause day last Tuesday and I was oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a post out on LinkedIn about this and I, and and I couldn't on Tuesday I, I kept typing it I go oh no I'm not doing it I'm not doing it and then on Wednesday someone else shared something and I it was kind of yeah do you know what I'm going to share their article because it was brilliant yeah. and I'm just going to share some of my own stuff alongside that <laughs> It felt really, um, I fe- it, felt, it felt scary, Vicky. It felt like, my God, I'm showing some vulnerability here and I'm doing it in front of however many, you know, however many people choose to read that LinkedIn post. Um, but the more of the more people who are prepared to show the vulnerability and to be yeah. honest, then we're giving permission for other people to do the same, aren't we? Yeah. Which I think yeah. can only be for the greater good of the industry and but actually yeah. more importantly the individuals within it exactly and I think for me like one of my main drivers for always being so open about how I'm doing um and I'm feeling is I did several years ago now around the time I lost my life it was just before um I lost a friend to suicide and that was a really kind of polarizing moment in my life for me because we had no idea 
that he wasn't mm. doing okay. Like it was really shocking. Mm. Um, and I think for me, in my head, something clicked. I was like, I never want to not know how someone I love or care about yes. is doing again. Like I don't yes. want that. You know, this is a horrible feeling. Like wouldn't wish it on anyone. Mm. and I think for me that kind of just clicked in my head where I was like well if I'm expecting other people to be honest with me I need to be honest with other people yes. you know it's a two-way street yes yeah um and so I'll always be I'm all, I'll always be honest like I've had a tough I've had a really tough time lately it's a rough time of year in general yeah like you know the not as my grand would say the nights are drawing in yeah and it's you know it's, it's a rough time of year in general work is hard at the minute mm. and you know it's just it's 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 hard and I'm not I'm not against saying that I've been struggling lately mm. like it's it, but you know but you you just talk to people that you know you can trust about it and Absolutely. that's always helpful yeah yeah so we'll bring the conversation to a close I literally could talk to you for yeah. hours um and we're going to kind of leave it on a very positive note because mm-hmm. I you know I like to I like to um to hear if people have got a um a favorite quote that they use if there's something that you go back to time and time again if there's something that kind of inspires you um but also if if there are individuals that inspire you as well it's kind of what makes you feel better yeah i mean i've got i think the people who inspire me the most is two actually that i'm going to mention like who've inspired me like personally and in my career wise one is Catherine o'brien who i know you know you're very good friends with she's just I told her on more than one occasion when I've had maybe a glass of wine too much <laughs> that I um that I want to be her when I grow up. Yeah, like, you know, oh, me just, too, like, Vicky. Me yeah. too, <laughs> definitely. Um, and I just like, and she's very, she's always been very supportive of me on a personal level as well as a career level. Like I think you know, especially because you know I don't have any family up here or anything like that. Like she's yeah. she's um, we've always kind of joked she's my work mum, yeah. and I think that you know that that uh, that's a relationship that I really kind of treasure professionally as well as personally Mm. and I think actually it's something that you know if I were to eventually leave TPE that would be one of the things that would be hardest I know it wouldn't end the relationship but it'd be really kind of I love working for you so it's like that would be absolutely yeah yeah love working and the other is as cheesy as my sound um my mum because she my she's always been the breadwinner in the family for us because my, my dad's disabled um and his, as long as I've been I've got memory of it has yeah. not has not been able to work as a result of that so my mum has really worked her way up so she when I was really young worked in Tesco and then she started working in schools and while she was working full-time technically my dad's carer essentially as well yeah um raising two two daughters um she also got a master's degree in business management wow um so she did so she did her undergrad and then her master's yeah so then she was a school business manager for years and now she actually is a uh gp practice manager and started that job in early 2020 so i know had a real easy um <laughs> first couple years working for the nhs oh my and god i just think like my mum's just always She's always been there, but she's always kind of just like her her ability to just kind of get on with it work wise. I think is kind of where I've kind of understood it. Yeah. I think I just grew up thinking that was normal, so I think that yes. that was kind of just the standard, I yeah. guess. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she uh, she's very funny though. My mum, me and my sister always make fun of her because she's so switched. Oh, my sister actually works for her. She works at the same GP. Oh right. So she sees. Um, my mum in work mode which I've never experienced me and my, I love my mum we couldn't work together she's no. admitted to like we would not we would, <laughs> it would not well. <laughs> um uh, but they work together and the difference between my mum in work and my mum out of work is is so funny it's like it's two completely different people um and it's so she's so organized and so pulled together at work and everything like that and then she'll ask like the stupidest questions outside of work and just say like the funniest things and it's we always joke it's like she puts all of her concentration and it, into, into like work it, mode yeah yeah um and it's the disparity <laughs> between the two versions of us it's one of my favorite things yeah. it's so funny because i can it's relate just, to so, that vicky i can yeah. definitely relate to that i think my family would as well yeah it's like, how, how the hell is she running a business when she can't even kind of you know it's work so out funny. where you know where the butter is you know it's just yeah, yeah. It's, it's bizarre 
So um, so leave us with a quote, Vicky. Give us some words of wisdom. You've given us loads of words of wisdom of your <laughs> own, but 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 share a quote with us to finish off this conversation. So um, the quote that I think I think about the most is it's a long. It says, um, "If someone thinks you're too much, tell them to go look for less." And I think that Ooh. one thing. I've always felt about myself or like one of my most self-critical thoughts has always been, I'm a lot to deal with. I'm a, Cause you know, I'm not quiet. I'm not, I, yeah. I, I'll say what I think. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I'm, I do use my sense of humor as a defense mechanism. So I do try and I am, especially in a new social setting where I'm potentially nervous or anxious, I'm very much the class clown. Like, yeah. so I know that like, you know, I'm what I would have historically called a lot or too much. Okay. And actually that's not a bad thing like if I'm too much for someone that's their problem not mine and that's something that I'm very much trying to think about and get used to so yeah I would say that would be I love that I absolutely love it I've never heard it before I am (laughs) going to share it with my daughter because I know it will really resonate with her um it also makes me think gosh this is interesting because another thing that I think a lot of um certainly a lot of, of women struggle with Mm -hmm. that I'm aware of is this feeling that I'm not enough so I'm not good enough I've not done enough yeah um you know and just generally I'm not enough so how can we be too much and not enough at the same time (laughs) but but I love it but it's true isn't it it's such a it's such a thing and I think that I think women in particular have a real issue there's a real issue with us being multifaceted sometimes like I think we're, we're we're people try and fit us into boxes and everything like that and I just think it's yeah it's it's you can feel both things but I think that and we can be accused of being too much and it's just kind of yeah but I don't it's not you know if I'm loud then I'm loud that's just who I am as a person you know I I just love that I love that and I I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation I knew I would because you know whenever um whether I see you on social media or whether I see you in real life it's kind of you 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 bring in something you're sharing your own experiences you're supporting other people you're being very vulnerable in your own right in terms of sharing your journey Um, and on behalf of everyone who listens to this and gets inspiration from it thank you Um, massive thank you from me for agreeing to take part Um, I'm over the moon that you have done and um, just yeah massive thanks so Vicky Snell British Empire medal holder. Thank you so much for being part of the Intuitive Insights podcast today. Thank you. My huge thanks to Vicky for being so honest, for being so vulnerable and for sharing so many words of wisdom during that conversation. I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. 